One reason we sing the Psalms and sing out of the Psalter is that this is God's songbook for His church. One of the ways He has given the people throughout all of time to sing and praise Him from this, from this book. And how fitting this is as we have confessed our sins and found forgiveness, this song that we sing here. This song of release from sin that God has forgiven us. What a beautiful psalm that it is to us today. Well, now is the time when we turn to the preaching of God's Word, and we are going to continue our study from the letter of Philippians. If you want to turn with me there, we are going to be in chapter 1 and reading verses 12 through 18. So if you turn with me to Philippians chapter 1, as we read God's Word together. Hear now the reading of the Word of the Lord. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, so it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. And most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of rivalry, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice. That sends the word of the Lord to us today. May he bless it to us today. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, as we come now to the preaching of your word, we pray that your Holy Spirit would work in our hearts, open our eyes to see wondrous things out of your law this morning. Lord, convict us where we need to be convicted, change us where we need to be changed, and encourage us where we are weak and need strength. We look to you, Lord Jesus, who is present among us now. In your name we pray, amen. Well, this text this morning follows on the heels of Paul's prayer for the Philippians. If we remember, there are many things going on in this congregation. There is disunity in this church, which Paul will address in chapter 2. There is Paul himself who is in prison, the apostle who came to them, traveled, and preached the good news to these people who had likely never heard the good news ever before. And many people came to Christ through the Apostle Paul, and Paul started this church there. But now there seems to be people in this church who are also confronting the faith and stirring up false doctrines in the middle of this church. As we've seen, they have disunity within, they have people without that want to trouble them, and then they have the Apostle Paul, someone who they loved, is now in prison. And so Paul prayed for them this last passage that we looked at last week, that they would be strengthened as they continue this good work that God has begun in them. But Paul now turns to the body of his letter, as we would see that this is where Paul is going to give the explanation for the reason why he's written this letter. And he knows something that's going on in their hearts, that they've heard bad news. I'm sure at some point you have heard bad news. If you turn on the television right now, I'm sure that that's what you would hear is bad news. 
remember as a teenager watching the news with my mom, usually most nights around five o'clock, and I thought, why is it always so negative? Why is everything so bad? And my mom explained to me, well, said, well, that's how they keep people watching, is they tell you bad news. If it was always good news, you'd eventually get bored and turn, tune out. But we know that there is bad news, and that's what this congregation had heard from Paul, that he was in prison, somebody they loved, somebody they cared for. But if something else was at stake for them. Paul being in prison meant that the gospel was at stake. Imagine hearing that this king has risen from the dead, the Lord Jesus, and you place your faith in him, and he has brought a kingdom that can never be overcome, can never be defeated, and then his chief servant he has on the earth, the apostle Paul, is now in prison. What are you to think of this faith that you have now believed? What are you to think as a Christian? What does this mean if Paul is in prison? What does this mean for us? He's their friend, their pastor, an apostle to them. And what does that mean for us as Christians today when we look at Paul in prison? And how do we think about our lives in this world today as well? What does it mean to be a member of the kingdom of God when people end up in prison, when this world turns against you? I think Paul has some good news for us this morning from this passage about how to think about those kind of circumstances and events in our lives that come around against us. The first thing I want us to look at this morning is the gospel chained and proclaimed. This is what Paul begins at, is this issue of the gospel seemingly being chained. We have a fear of the gospel being chained. We live in a time that we see rapid descent in our culture or around us, wondering what this means for us as Christians who hold faith in Jesus Christ. Can we still proclaim the gospel with the ease that, we seem to have been, that seems to have been done for generations before us? When we see other Christians around us forsaking Christ and thinking, even the people that seem to grow up among us are now turning away from the Lord. This phrase I'm sure many of you have heard, they have deconstructed their faith. It seems that they have dug up in their faith and reevaluated their entire Christianity and found that it doesn't stand up to what the modern culture says about this religion and about this faith. They seem to find that it's an oppressive religion. They cannot, that Christianity, Christianity cannot answer the great questions that science prevents, presents to us today. That other religions also have good sources of knowledge and truth, so what makes Christianity so special? Thus they deconstruct their faith. They tear it apart and what they find is nothing left other than seemingly a shell around them. For them, they see Christianity as just a palliative, a medicine, or as Karl Marx once wrote, an opiate for the masses. It makes you feel good, but that's all it does. It doesn't do anything for you. And so we see Christianity seems to be losing its grip even on people that have grown up amongst us. And we look around at this world descending more and more into opposition to our faith. And we wonder, what does this mean for us as Christians? And I think this is something that the Philippians themselves were wrestling with as they knew that the Apostle Paul was in prison. 
What does this mean for us as Christians if even the Apostle Paul is chained up inside of a prison? What Paul has to tell us this morning is that a prison cannot stop the gospel. See, we expect the kingdom of God to work a certain way. And one of the greatest dangers for Christians is thinking that the kingdom of heaven will operate like the kingdoms of this world. We think that for the gospel to go out unhindered into all the world, that it will go out the way that we see kingdoms advancing in this world. Powerfully, mightily. Nothing in its way. But this is the fear that Paul confronts the Philippians and he confronts in us today. Scripture tells us in 2 Corinthians through the Apostle Paul that we battle not against flesh and blood. We are not waging a war according to the flesh. For the weapons of our warfare are not of the flesh but have divine power to destroy strongholds. What Paul wants us to see this morning is that The Christian faith does not go forward because of the strength of men. It does not go through, go forward through the ingenuity of men. And the ways that God uses, the means that God uses to advance his kingdom continually frustrate us, even as Christians. He overturns the way that we are thinking about his kingdom going forward. Paul says, I want you to know, brothers, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. But it's not just that the kingdom is advancing and that nothing cannot stop it. It's the way that it is advancing that Paul wants to highlight for these Philippians. What Paul says here is actually astonishing. The gospel continues to go out, not just despite my chains, Paul is saying that the gospel is going out, that it is advancing because of my chains. Paul is saying something very radical. What has happened to me is advancing the gospel. I want you to hear this very clearly this morning. A prison advanced the gospel. This is the opposite of what we think about the Christian faith. We think a prison is going to stop the gospel. If the civil authorities round us Christians up and stick us in prison, it is going to be a danger and a threat to the gospel. Now, there is a sense in which that is true. There is a sense that we do not want to be shut up. Paul actually prays for the leaders in 1 Timothy, calls Christians to pray for leaders that we may live peaceful, godly, quiet lives so that we can show this world the gospel. But Paul shows something here, something more astonishing. The way that God works. That God can actually turn a prison. Something that is meant to hold you down and to keep you quiet and without any influence whatsoever. Paul shows God has turned this prison into a catalyst to advance his gospel. He wants to encourage the Philippians. He wants to encourage us that the very thing that they thought would slow down the gospel has now sped it up. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. It is an astonishing turn of events. 
Paul's imprisonment made the highest ranking guards in the Roman army hear about his imprisonment was for the sake of Christ. How else are you going to reach these people? How are you going to reach the most powerful army on the planet and the highest echelon of people in that, in that group? How are you going to do that? Paul says, you know how God did it? He had me thrown in jail. That's how God used Paul to reach the highest echelons of society with the gospel. And not just a prison that Paul points out here advances the gospel. Now he shows us that it creates boldness in believers, that they see Paul's strength and resilience in the face of imprisonment, and it gives boldness to the believers. So that it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and to all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak the word without fear. But then he moves to something interesting in this next paragraph. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. See, God does not just advance his kingdom through a prison, but he uses fallen people to do it. It's not just these this prison that is now a catalyst to advance God's kingdom, but he is using men who, trying to afflict Paul to do evil, are actually advancing the kingdom. They're proclaiming the gospel. Now, who are these men? Who are these people? Well, we don't exactly know. Paul doesn't tell us per se who they are. He just tells us their motives, that they envy that they are those who do not have goodwill. They are those who are driven by rivalry. They are not driven out of sincerity, but they are driven out of a desire to exalt themselves. But Paul shows here the, the nature of these men. They envied Paul. They saw, well, the gospel is actually being influential. The gospel is advancing in this group of people. And they envied that. They said, I want the attention. If this is influential in all these areas of society, I want this attention too. And so they think, let's see what we can do to get this attention. They saw Paul locked up in prison, and they probably thought that it was foolish of Paul. Paul, you obviously were doing something wrong, so you got yourself locked up in prison. You got what you deserve. So we're going to take the thunder that you have stirred up here and we're going to take it to ourselves. You can imagine them even saying, you can't spread the gospel from a prison. Paul, this is foolish. They're taunting him. We don't need you, Paul. We've got this. Yet what is Paul's response to all of this? What does Paul say to this? Does he become jealous of them? These men are free. These men are free and they're able to go unhindered and preach the gospel. Does he say what a travesty it is that these men who have evil motives are now going unhindered and preaching the gospel? No, in a cruel irony, not a cruel irony, a good irony, the very thing that they're trying to do brings more joy to Paul. In this, I rejoice. 
They're trying to afflict him. And all Paul can see is, you can't hurt me. This is a beautiful thing. You guys are actually preaching and proclaiming the gospel. You are proclaiming Christ. Now, Paul is not excusing their wrong motives. He will address these very motives in chapter 2, in the beginning of chapter 2. He says to the Christians in verse 3, he says, Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Paul is not excusing the motives of these men. He wants to dress it in the lives of the Philippians themselves. But he sees what's happening here. The gospel is continuing to go out. Now, these men are truly proclaiming the gospel. They have not mixed up the gospel. This is not a false doctrine these men are proclaiming. But their motives are impure. But Paul finds reason to rejoice in what is happening. And so we see this radical turn where God uses a prison and the weakness and fallenness of men to do this. But something else here in our second point this morning that I would like us to consider. That this is the way that God works. This is the way that God works. He uses things that to our eyes, to our senses, to our thoughts, to our feelings, we don't like. Or we think are foolish or are silly. And God can do things with things in this world that we would never think to use. Ultimately, God is a God who creates ex nihilo, from nothing. God creates things where there is nothing. He can make things come into existence in places where we would never in once in a million years imagine that God would be working through that. The things that we think are the greatest obstacles to our faith, God can turn to be the greatest advantage to our faith. And the very instruments that we think this world is using to destroy the Christian faith, God will use them to turn out to advance the Christian faith. In 1 Corinthians, Paul tells the church in Corinth, God chose what is low, what is despised in the world, even the things that are not, even nothing, to bring to nothing the things that are. Martin Luther, the famous reformer, and something appropriate as we are on the eve of remembering the Great Reformation tomorrow, Martin Luther says this, Just as God in the beginning of creation made the world out of nothing, whence he is called the Creator and Almighty, so his manner of working continues unchanged. Even now and to the end of the world, all his works are such that out of that which is nothing, worthless, despised, wretched, and dead, he makes that which is something precious, honorable, blessed, and living. God used a poor virgin woman to birth the Son of God into this world. God made water flow from a rock for his people, Israel, as they wandered in the desert. God made five loaves of fish, or five loaves of bread, feed 5,000 men. 
But most importantly, God used a cross to save you and I. God takes events and circumstances and turns them out for his good. This is what the Philippians needed to hear. And this is what we need to hear this morning. I have a story of a man in my life where I saw this played out very clearly. My grandfather, his name was Stan Coleman. I had never met him, or my great-grandfather. I'd never met him until I was uh, about 32 years old. And I went with my mother to meet him, and he was nearing the end of his life. He had COPD and emphysema from decades and decades of smoking. And we went to his, his home, his humble home that he had, and there he was with oxygen tubes up his nose and struggling to breathe. And it was the first time I ever met this man because he lived a life that is not worth mostly remembering. And this man sat before me and I got to meet him and say, you know, great grandpa Stan, it's great to see you. My mom and I talked with him for a little bit and he had told us that he had only a few months left to live that the doctors had given him, that this diseases were ravaging his body. And he could hardly speak for more than 20 or 30 minutes at a time before he became out of breath. And so I asked him, I said, well, Stan, how are you doing? And what he said to me next was one of the most astonishing things I've ever heard somebody in that state ever say to me. His response was, I'm doing great. This is the best thing that has ever happened to me. This is the best thing that ever happened to me. COPD, emphysema. Here he is at death's door. He said, you know, I lived my whole life and it's so much that I wish that I had never done. And he says, but God used this to draw me to himself. It was as I started struggling with this and I realized that I was at death's door that God wakened my life to see the good news of Christ. And he had a faithful Lutheran pastor that would come and see him on a monthly basis and encourage him. The best thing that happened to me, something that to all of us from the outside, we would look at and say, this is the worst thing that could happen to you. But God used this event in his life for good. And it's an encouragement for us today that we have a God who creates ex nihilo from nothing. He can make things into existence. That he can turn a prison into a way to advance his gospel. That he can use broken, fallen men to advance his gospel. And Christian, today, believe in your God. Believe in your God who has done these things for you. You look at a world around you that you feel like is turning against you more and more. But nothing is too difficult for our God. But as we know, the greatest picture of this is in the gospel. That it is on the cross that God turned one of the vilest, most wicked instruments of all mankind to save us, to do the most good, to do the greatest good for his people. This is the greatest picture that we have for us of God turning something evil and using it for good. That God saves sinners using the lowest possible thing that we could imagine. 
And Jesus Christ did not shrink back from the cross. He did not run away when he saw the danger, the threat that was before him. And this is the way that God works. As Joseph said to his brothers, what, God intend, or what man intended for evil, God has meant it for good. We serve a God who has saved us from our sins. And he did this doing a way that none of us would imagine. In fact, it was a way that none of us would have ever wanted. And if God has done this greater thing for us, in saving us from our sins through a cross, and will he not also do the lesser things in our lives and use them for good, even though we don't see it right now? This is the hope for us as we face the many trials that we have in this life, is that God can use a cross and bring good out of it. God can use a prison and bring good out of it. And that is the hope for us today. It's hope for us as we look on so many things, even in ourselves, that seem irredeemable. Circumstances that we look back in our past and think, what good can come of this? Yet what does Scripture tell us in Romans chapter 8? And we know that for those who love God, all things work together for the good of those who love Him. This is the message that Paul had for the Philippians, and this is the message for us today. That all things, everything in our lives is working together for our good. We may not see it. We may not see all the ways that they are, but this is a picture for us in this letter of Philippians, that God certainly can use all things for our good. And He is. So Christians today have hope as you face this life. Have hope as you face this world around us that seems to be turning against us. Have hope as you face the trials and circumstances in your life. Because we have a God who can bring things into existence out of nothing. And He can turn even the most evil into a great good for His kingdom. So rest in that today. And rest in your Savior who has done all things for you. Let's pray. Our Father in heaven, we rejoice and give thanks that you have redeemed us and saved us. And Lord, we pray that you would fill us with hope today. That we see this world around us. We feel our brokenness. We feel the fall and the curse that weighs heavy upon us. But Lord, we know that you have lifted that in Christ Jesus on the cross. Oh Lord, help us to rejoice as Paul did to see what good you are doing in this world and in our lives. And Lord, may your gospel continue to go out to the nations, that you are a God who saves sinners. We pray that you would do this in us by the name of Jesus Christ, in whose name we pray this morning. Amen.